Hey, well, we're excited to dive into Matthew 5, 9. I guess you could call it Peacemaker Point 2, or we're calling it Reconciliation Today. But uh, I want to welcome you again, and, and especially, man, maybe you opened your home today to somebody to watch the service with you. Welcome. And uh, we're glad that maybe even in this small scale in phase two in the state of Washington, we can come together in homes and experience service for the next three weeks. And uh, I'm just glad we can together if you were able to. If not, next Sunday's coming, right? Let's jump in. 5 9, Matthew 5 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. One of the authors I have enjoyed so much in the course of peacemaking reading, I was introduced to through Reengage, through some of the tools that we are able to provide couples. And uh, his, the author's name is Ken Sandy, and in one of his books, The Peacemaker, A Biblical Guide to Resol Resolving Personal Conflict, it says this, peacemakers see conflict as an opportunity to solve problems in a way that not only benefits everyone involved, but also honors God. They use conflict to glorify God, serve others, and become more like Christ. They seize every chance to strengthen relationships, preserve valuable resources, make their lives clear evidence of the love and power of Christ. That's what we're talking about in even this series is developing these characters, becoming more like Christ. That's where the Beatitudes leads us. And last week we walked through three thoughts with you. Peacemakers understand the source of conflict. We know where it begins. It begins in our heart, right? James 4.1 says, don't they come from the evil desires that are at war within you? Uh, we looked at peacemakers value unity over conformity. God doesn't desire us to be robots and for all of us to be 100% alike. We are to be peacemakers and peacemakers seek unity. And the third thing we looked at is peacemakers make allowances for each other. And I am grateful for that because Colossians 3.13 challenges us to make allowances for each other. And our friends are good at making allowances for each other. We have faults. So we're constantly making allowances for one another. So that's what we looked at last week. Uh, Romans 12.18 is a passage we've read. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Why be a peacemaker, right? Why be the guy who's going to raise their hand and say, we'll all create some peace here. Why not just make sure you get your own way? Well, reality is you'll be very lonely. If you don't like to be lonely, and I think we've all experienced that in the last few months, right? Times alone. If you don't want to be alone, you need to be good at restoring and reconciling the relationships around you because peacemakers mend conflicts. Peacemakers are the glue that helps the world around us come together and stick together. Today's big idea is this. A peacemaker's goal is reconciliation. Reconciliation that is restoring and repairing damaged relationships. Again, we don't need uh, peace without conflict. Conflict gives an opportunity for us 
to engage in a way of peace. Knowing how you naturally deal with conflict will help you grow towards peacemaking. I would like to introduce you to a diagram that's going to pop up here. And this diagram is called the slippery slope. It's again one of Ken Sandy's tools from his book Resolving Everyday Conflict. Just look at this image and and you can see on the left that that if you slip down to the left, you're going to prone your responses are going to be prone to escape, right? Uh, you're going to flight, you're going to deny. If you go extreme to the other side, you're going to attack, right? You're going to blame, you're going to assault. But peacemaking happens in the middle. When you go higher, get real, gently engage and get together. We're going to look at how to get into the middle today. When conflict happens, the escaper focuses on running. Uh, you can call this person a peace faker. Is that, your, is that your tendency? Some of us lean that direction. I probably do. Peace faking is not reconciliation. And I, I think this week has taught us clearly, don't accept the lie that silence is peace. There's still things boiling, right? Using an escape response usually means I'm intent on peace faking, trying to make things look good even when they aren't. And peace faking happens when I care more about the appearance of peace than the reality of peace, like deep-rooted peace. Well, on the other extreme, the attacker aims at winning. It's all about victory. And you can call this person a peace breaker. Peace breaking is not reconciliation either. People use attack responses when they are more interested in winning a conflict than in persevering a relationship. People move into the attack zone along really one of two paths. Uh, some attack the instant they encounter conflict and, and others move into that zone when when avoidance doesn't work, right? Peace faking didn't work. And so the other pendulum switches and you're like, I'm going to use all this ammo now. Here it comes. Ba, 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 ba. Everything you say is more like a bullet in the gun and I'm waiting to fire. This is challenging. And especially now we can see where this breaks down. Our world is struggling right now to figure out how to reconcile ourselves to one another, specifically overcoming racial biases that have plagued, plagued generations in our country. Can you see the different stages at work? Peace faking. Uh, to all my friends in the African-American community or anybody of color for that matter, when we say in a moment of pain, like right now, all lives matter, that sounds like peace faking. Now, I know saying it, you might not intend it to be peace faking, but it sounds that way. It comes across as peace faking. There's a community hurting due to repeated generational bias that has been in a place within our country, kind of stuck for too long and too many repeated offenses. And we need to do our part in reconciling and confessing black lives do matter. 
We want to embrace and, and apologize and bring unity and preserve, reconcile these relationships, right? Another phrase that could seem like peace faking would be, I don't see color. I was listening to multiple conversations with uh, different people from the, the communities that are feeling the pain the most right now. And, and that phrase hits, it seems fake. In fact, when we look in scripture, we see that everybody is fearfully and wonderfully made. We're created in God's likeness and image. You know what? It doesn't matter the melanin in your skin as to whether you are valued in the eyes of God. He values all of us the same, right? But he also wants us to see that value and appreciate the differences around us, which come in all kinds of shapes, sizes, and colors. And when we say, I don't see color, I graywash the world around me. That sounds like peace faking. What about peace breaking? Well, open up your news feed. <laughs> I don't really recommend that, but open up the news, open up your news feed. And what are they focusing on? Attacking. They're focusing on the negative. Uh, they're focusing on uh, the negative as uh, what's happening negatively in our world, or maybe you're seeing attacking in uh, phrases like, blacks are racists. Man, I see this come across the feed and I'm like, that is that going to help? That's attacking. And we're peace breaking at that moment. This feels opposite of someone who wants to maintain a relationship or bridge a conversation. So how do we walk out conflicts like what we're facing right now with the help of this diagram? How do we fall in the middle? Uh, how do we fall in the middle, whether it's relationships with our spouse or relationships with uh, those of other color, whether it's relationships at work? How do we proceed? Because I think this slippery slope diagram is a powerful tool to help us reconcile relationships of any conflict that we're having and resolve some pretty deep-rooted issues that maybe we've never loved enough to approach. How many times have we just tried to escape? How many times have we thought, I won, but we've really divided and lost a relationship? I think a lot of times, man, we need the Holy Spirit to help us move to the middle of that diagram and really focus in on those four areas. So right now, you have an opportunity, and that opportunity is to learn a better way to respond to conflict that really you're going to stay from one extreme to the other unless you allow the Holy Spirit to guide and help you become more like Christ and respond as the peacemaker he intends us to be within the world we live in. He's put us here for such a time as this. So here's some questions we can ask ourselves. Peacemakers ask four questions. And peacemaking applies to uh, the gospel and God's principles for problem solving in everyday life. And we're going to grab passages that show us, man, these are tools God has been using for a long time. Practical peacemaking tools that we can reference and help us respond in that middle zone. So the four questions we should be asking ourselves is how can I focus on God in this situation, right? How do I go higher? How can I own my part in this conflict? 
arrows in, how, what's my part in this, right? I need to get real with myself. Uh, how can I help others own their contribution to this conflict? Notice that's the third question. We don't lead with that. <laughs> that would be bad. We gently engage. How can I give forgiveness and help reach a reasonable solution? We need to get together and, 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 and create this commitment to peace and forgiveness. So this will help you in all your conflicts and all your relationships. So let's dive in. Question one, how can I focus on God in this situation? How can I go higher? How can I put my focus here? How can I be more like the one who I'm modeling my life after? This is that pause. This is that I'm not going to just react. I'm going to pause and consider what have I learned in my time in scripture that I can now apply during this conflict? How can I model the same response God would have? And um, really, you can do this in a couple ways. The first way, we go higher by imitating Christ. That's pretty easy. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 talk about it. You'll see it on the screen, but I'm going to read two little segments within it. It says, imitate God at the beginning, right? And then at the beginning of verse 2, it says, live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. We need to imitate God. We need to live a life of love following the example of Christ. If Jesus forgave me, should I extend and be able to extend forgiveness? If Jesus loved me, should I not love? If Jesus went for the one lost sheep, should I not stand up for the one who's feeling lost right now in the world around me? Last week we learned we are co-heirs with Christ. Those who choose to follow Jesus, we are brothers and sisters. That means no matter your color, we go after the, the member of the family that is lost and hurting. And we do everything we can to restore and reconcile that relationship. The second thing we, we see here in this question is, is we can go higher by overlooking an offense. Man, this is a, a weird balancer though. Let me read Proverbs 19:11. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Now hear me carefully. Overlooking is an active choice. If you bend towards avoidance, this might feel like you could just say, well, I'm overlooking. No, no, no. Overlooking isn't peace faking. Peace faking is avoiding confrontation, staying silent for the moment, but, but filing away the offense to use later. That's peace faking. Overlooking means you choose to fully forgive a person without any further discussion or action. No consequence. Overlooking is a strong choice, a disciplined choice. It's a practical choice choice. Overlooking is in sharp contrast to a life of constantly correcting others in the name of peace. Overlooking offense. It's, it looks like avoidance, but it's a conscious decision. And it might mean more for reconciliation than trying to always win. Second question, how can I own my part 
of this conflict? How can I get real with myself and, and own my part? Again, it's the hula hoop. Get inside a circle and, and point the arrows in. Deal first with your part. First Bible I owned was a New King James Version translation. I did a lot of memorization when I was a new follower of Jesus throughout that. And in fact, the Romans 12, 18 passage that we've been reading during the peacemaking two weeks here, uh, I memorized, if it, if it is possible in this part right here, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As much as depends on you. The first step of living in peace with everyone is dependent on you. It's inside the circle. I'm going to work in the circle first. Even though all of my focus might be in the wrong someone else did, there's something I can own. It depends on us to own it, right? If it is possible and it does depend on you, act first by owning your part of the conflict. Jesus taught this illustration. I guess, kids, if you're still if you're still with me, if you're still in this, you could draw this out and it could be pretty funny. But it says this in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I don't think Jesus could have made that any more poignant. <laughs> Very clear point there. The log is your contribution to the conflict. And you can build a wall with it and imprison yourself in bitterness, or you can remove it and live a life of peace with everybody. I love the quote uh, that is on the wall of the the Peacemaker Foundation that Ken Sandy started. It's this quote on the entrance of their office. It says, even if I'm only 2% responsible for a conflict, I'm 100% responsible for my 2%. Even if I'm 2% responsible for a conflict, I'm 100% responsible for my 2%. Let's find the 2%. And it's gonna take the courage of the psalmist to do it. Right, Psalm 139, 23 says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. Are you willing to pray a prayer that bold? Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and they turn from them, they'll receive mercy. When you go to confess a wrong, remember, you are there to serve the other person. If God shows you something in your heart when you're praying that prayer, and you see that there is something in you you need to let go of, and it involves someone else, and you go to them to confess, you're not going to make yourself feel better. You're going to say it's over. I'm laying this down. Focus on showing God's love to the person you may have only been 2% responsible for harming. 
And regardless of that person's response, keep your commitment to repairing any damage in that relationship that was created for the rest of your future. I mean, the fastest road to genuine peace and reconciliation is just confession and investment in that relationship. Question three, how can I help others own their contribution to this conflict? Gently engage, right? Galatians 6.1, dear brothers and sisters, if any believers is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently, humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. This is where these characters we've been developing in the Beatitudes are so important to rise to the surface. Let's humble ourselves. Let's gently approach the subject, not come in with aggression and boldness and grr, right? Man, we could see further clarity in James 5.20 when he says, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save the person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Many of us feel reluctant, I think, to approach, even gently, somebody's life that we see is going down a dark road, maybe in their marriage or their, their habits, or we just see them doing something that's self-destructive and we want to reach out. And we end up telling ourselves or reminding ourselves of verses like Matthew 7, 1, where it says, do not judge others or you will be judged. And then so we just back off completely and we naturally conclude that the Bible forbids us to approach someone in their sin, but it does not. It's asking us to do it with much thought and prayer and gentleness and humility. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He says, nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. Man, if there's something we could get better at, better at it's gently sharing with others how we see their life going in a direction that may not be a blessing to them. Matthew 18, 15 says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and, and point out their offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Reconcil reconciliation. There's a lot more instruction in Matthew 18. You, I challenge you, go read it. In fact, go back and, and experience the Living in Peace series we did at Open Life because this content, there's so much more than I'm able to share in one talk. But God calls us to go and talk to others in their sins. And uh, that's a serious task. And here's, here's some ways to help you know when to go. I need to go when a conflict damages my relationship with someone. If I can tell this conflict is damaging the relationship, it's time to go. If you can't forgive an offense, that is, if, if, if your feelings, thoughts, words, or actions towards another person have been altered for more than a short period of time, the offense is probably serious, uh, is too serious to overlook. You need to go and approach it and have a conversation. You need to go when a conflict is hurting others. When you see it doing damage to others, if this behavior going to emotionally or physically 
do harm. That's when you confront. Is this behavior going to give license to others to do harm? If it's modeled, go and confront. Uh, we need to go when a conflict is hurting the offender. You, you might have eyes and ears that see the damage that is uh, 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 the offender is doing to themselves. And, and that's when you need to approach. And man, I saw this as a youth pastor year after year when somebody would get in a relationship that would lead them away from health and, and people would try to approach it. And it was always hard, but Jesus demonstrated Man, he didn't demonstrate let people do their own thing. He demonstrated go in to the rescue, right? And so we need to take that imitation, that example of Christ and, and transform our approach into a loving, humble approach and go and do the same Jesus would do. Let's rescue those who are on a self-destruct pattern. Finally, we need to go when a conflict is significantly dishonoring God. If somebody's elevating something and just does not model what is truly exemplified by God in Scripture, we need to approach it. 2 Timothy 2, 24-25 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient and diff with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps, I love that, Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. We need to pray towards that, perhaps. God, touch people's lives that are in the name of the gospel doing horrendous things. Perhaps, God, you can change their heart. Man, I want to pray that prayer. Question four, how can I give forgiveness and help reach a reasonable solution? We need to get together. Ephesians 4.32, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. God forgave us. We now have the opportunity to give forgiveness. Man, what are we committing to when we're giving forgiveness? I, there's four promises in forgiveness, right? I promise I won't dwell on the incident. I promise I won't bring up the incident and use it against you. I promise I won't talk to others about the incident. Keep your circle small, right? I promise I won't allow the incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. If we want to reconcile, we have to make those commitments when we forgive. We can't say, I forgive you. And then when the next offense happens, we bring up both the past and present offense. If we want to reconcile, relationships we deal with the offense at hand these four promises show us that forgiveness looks like real life and we need to be walking these things out and the more we do the more natural it will become and guess what it's impossible without God the natural will pull you to one side you'll slip down that slope every time unless you've invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, and you all of a sudden have the power from within of the Holy Spirit to help you check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? So we need to just approach God, challenge Him to take over this area of our life and help us be the peacemakers we're being called to be. Our action point is to identify your conflict and pursue reconciliation. Identify, identify your conflict 
and pursue reconciliation. It's a decision away. Our country right now, we're in a conflict of racial prejudice and injustice like never before. It's just culminating. It's, it's huge. It's brewing. It's just ready to explode. Our state Man, we have COVID-19 restrictions that are just raising so much conflict and people, different opinions coming after you. Every day we have conflict with each other. Somebody wants to do something. We want to do it this way. We say something we didn't intend to. We have conflict. Are your actions showing you that you are pursuing reconciliation when you try to solve those conflicts? What questions can you answer differently and realign your spirit with the spirit of God? We must repent. We must turn from our old ways, whether it be to the left or right, wherever we slip on that slope, we must repent. And we gotta get real, right? We gotta go higher. We gotta gently engage and we've got to get together and reconcile the relationships around us because what matters is people and our relationships with one another. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and, and some were able to come together in a home together for the first time here in our state at least. And I pray that God, you will right now allow anyone who has yet to make a decision to follow you to simply invite you into their life. You do that by praying. You just say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And God, I know uh, that you promised to give us your Holy Spirit to work on, from the inside out. I pray that you would begin to do a work on the inside of us. Touch our heart. The source of so much conflict is when we don't get our way and start to move our hearts to a position where we can humble ourselves and we could come and, and recognize your example and characters that you want us to follow. We could, we could begin to understand what it is, Lord God, to pursue in a way that is real understanding art, even if it's 2% of the conflict around us, that we'll 100% own that 2%. God, I pray that you will help us to understand what it is to gently approach conflict and, and, and restore relationships, that we would get together and forgive one another fully. And Lord, may we have the strongest relationships we've ever had because we're courageous enough, bold enough, strong enough to be the peacemakers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're praying for you. Blessed are you. We look forward to wrapping this series up next week. God's going to do incredible things through your life.